all of us come into this building with different situations, different scenarios. We're all walking um, a life journey that is different. None of them are the same as somebody else sitting beside us. And so today you might be sitting in here and you may be going through a really great season. Things are going really well for you. God is blessing you. And I'm so happy for that. But there's also other people in here who may be going through a really, really tough time. Um, And I mean, I don't necessarily know what that is, but I just want to give you permission today uh, to be able to open yourself up to listen to what God has to speak to you this morning. God has something new for all of us, and he hopefully is going to use me today if I don't butcher this. So, (laughs) all right. So today my sermon is called What God Did Not Bless. That's on the screen right there, and it's based out of 2 Timothy uh, verse 1-7. Thank you, Jackie, for reading that uh, scripture verse for me this morning. And before I get into it, um, I just want to ask you for a little bit of your participation with me. Um, I would just want to ask you, um, do any of you guys, raise your hand if you have an irrational fear. Yes, an irrational fear. Um, I thank you for raising your hand. So one of the things that I think are really fun to do is when I meet someone new is to uh, get to know them through asking fun questions. So at junior high and senior high, we have this thing called the hot seat. And this is where I have the chance to grill any student that I choose with pretty weird questions. And a frequent question that I like to ask is, what is one of your irrational fears? Um, and we've gotten some pretty funny answers, some, some common, so like spiders. Um, is anybody afraid of spiders here? <laughs> you're being bold and honest, thank you. You are afraid of spiders. I hope your wife gets them for you. <laughs> Nathan gets them for me. Um, one, one of the answers that a student has given of one of their irrational fears, I don't know if you guys remember the light bulb from Pixar. So the like when Pixar... Like the movie title comes on and like the little light bulb like jumps up and like jumps on the eye and squishes it. Apparently she's afraid of that light bulb. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. Um, I, I won't tell you who that person is out of, you know, saving themselves from some embarrassment. But certain people in this room know who that person is. And if you figure it out. Hopefully one day I'll get a light bulb or a light that looks exactly like that and I'll show up to youth with it and just see what happens. <laughs> uh, so right now, um, I need a, your participation again really fast. So I want you to turn to whoever is beside you, whether it's the left or the right, and just blurt out what your irrational fear is to that person. All right, great. I hope you had the chance to learn something new about somebody else. Um, I'm going to embarrass my husband a little bit because apparently what pastors do is pick on their family members, right? If you are a pastor's kid over there, Aiden, you'll be like, yes, my dad picks on me all of the time or Rylan or, you know, whoever else is in here who has a parent who picks on them. Uh, So I'm going to share with you, because I have the microphone once again, one of Nathan's irrational fears. So when when we were starting to go out and get to know each other, we had a similar conversation of, what are you scared of? Like, what's an irrational fear? And um, one time when we were driving, I found out one of his fears. Um, We were driving uh, to Sudbury. So from, Nathan lives in Bowmanville. We were driving up north to Sudbury. And uh, along the ways, if if you've ever driven to Sudbury or 
to a northern part of Ontario, you'll notice that there's lots of lakes, lots of rocks, lots of... Is anybody from northern Ontario here? Are you all southerners? Yes, just me and my mom? Yeah? <laughs> um, so, if, But if you've driven there, you'll know that there's a lot of lakes, there's a lot of rocks, and there's a lot of swamps um, along the side of the road. And Nathan started freaking out one time, just completely just freaking out while we were driving. I'm like, what is wrong? What is wrong? Apparently one of his like really big fears are swamps. Like he hates them. Like he can't be near them. He can't like look at them. He doesn't like what could happen potentially, I guess. He was really scared. But my favorite irrational fear of his is baby wipes. (laughs) So sometimes if we go out to a restaurant um, and they supply you with baby wipes, or not baby wipes, but like just like the regular wipes to like wash your hands, I'll stack a bunch in my purse, I'll put them in the car, and while he's driving, sometimes I'll like safely, if we're at like a red light, I'll take one out and like throw it at him, and he'll be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like get this off. So that's, that's <laughs> now you know us a little bit more. So I guess it's only fair um, to share with you one of mine. And um, we had like a little bit of this come up yesterday, actually. I, I absolutely hate and am fearful of cotton balls. I hate cotton balls. I can't touch them. I can't look at them. I don't like them. It's just one of those things that I just do not find needs to exist. All right, so lastly, before I move right on into the sermon, I hope you guys are having fun because church can be fun, right? Yeah? Yes, church can be fun. So last thing, please raise your hand if you have a fear of public speaking. Ooh, I saw hands go up like really fast. Two hands. (laughs) So all of those people who just raised their hands, you have to have extra grace on me this morning. So... Because if you were standing up here, it's pretty hard to do. Um, again, a small, quick, quick story. So last time that I was preaching, if you guys were here, um, uh, because it is a nerve-wracking thing, we were driving early in the morning to get here to the church. Um, supposed to be here at 8.30, and I uh, wanted to get my stuff all sorted out. And as we were driving, um, I'm tell- Nathan, Nathan, Nathan was the one who was driving, and um, I was telling him, like, Nate, like, you need to go faster. <laughs> you need to go faster. Like, I feel like I'm going to be late. I feel like we're not going to be here on time. You're really slow. Even this morning, there's like, I have this thing where if we're stopped at a red light and it turns green, I'm like right on it. I'm like, Nate, it's green. Go. Like, why are you? It takes even like a half a second long. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you need to go. So anyways, I was telling him, Nate, we need to go faster. And uh, so he listened to me because he was getting annoyed. So he went faster. And I was like, no, you need to go faster. (laughs) And clearly I'm functioning out of an irrational headspace because I'm, you know, like I'm a little bit scared of what is going to happen in the morning um, of speaking. And so I tell him to go faster. He goes faster. And we end up getting pulled over for speeding. (laughs) So... (laughs) I have not told Pastor Shannon that yet, (laughs) and he's not here today, so that will be our secret together as a congregation. Today, we did not get pulled over. I did tell him to go at a green light when I thought he was going too slow, but I'm working on that. All right, so today I'm going to be preaching um, a sermon called What God Did Not Give Us, and if you haven't already guessed it, I'm talking about fear. 
Um, however, we're going to find out that this fear in this context isn't necessarily um, an irrational fear or a fear of things like natural disasters or losing a loved one. This fear is, uh, is a thing that hinders what God has given us. So his power, his love, and sound mind or self-control or discipline. This fear grips us with doubts, insecurities. It wages a war with our thoughts and our feelings. This kind of fear is not of God, but of the enemy, the devil. Fear is one of the greatest weapons that Satan can use against us as it attacks our minds. He tells us that we're no good, we're not worthy, we're unloved, and we're useless. It tells us to be timid in the face of others who teach against the gospel, and it convinces us to fear persecution. These thoughts affect us all. It picks on everyone. No one is spared. I'm sure even in this room, we can all agree that we've faced times like that where we've just been scared or timid, forced to kind of feel like a coward. Uh, So how can we fight against such fear? So I'll give you just like the answer right off the bat. We don't even have to get into the rest of the sermon. It's by believing the truth of the second part of the verse. So God, through his Holy Spirit, has given us power, love, and self-control in a sound mind. Not in our own strength, but in his. So first, I'm going to jump into some context, because it's always good to know a little bit about the book that we're reading about, who wrote it, um, and what's going on in the situation. So 2 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul. Um, And what's cool about this uh, letter is that it's directed towards an individual. So it's also for the whole church, um, but it's directed towards an individual, Timothy. Um, Whereas other letters were more broad-sensed, like the Church of Galatians or the Church of Corinthians. This one's to Timothy. So... um, In this, uh, Paul is writing from imprisonment. So he was actually put into prison for a second time, and he was very aware that this time in prison, he was going to be facing execution. So 2 Timothy is not only one of the last letters or the last words from Paul, but it also should be read through the lens of urgency and passion that we might expect from a man who is going to soon be executed. So at the very beginning of the letter, Paul addresses Timothy um, how a father would address his very own son. And while Paul is offering instruction on church matters to a young pastor, he's also very pastoral in the sense that his personal of his personal concern and care for Timothy, and is also his it's intertwined with his concern and care for the gospel of Christ, something that he was presently and going to die for. So, just to say the least, this is a really important letter um, written by Paul to Timothy. The next, I just want to talk about church climate. So, you know, what was going on in that situation? So, um, Timothy is a young pastor of the church of Ephesus, and Paul knew from his time in this church uh, that it was necessary to give Timothy a last warning about false teachers among the church who had the ability to to distort the message of the gospel and cause confusion amongst the congregants. So, Timothy would have already seen this because he's he's the pastor of this church, so he knows what's going on in this situation. Um, But Paul is saying, like, this is really, really, really important, Uh, so I'm going to write to you specifically about this know that you're already you're aware of it, but this is a big, big problem. So this problem is kind of like trying to isolate a disease from being spread to the other churches. So they're trying to nip it in the butt, essentially. They're saying, like, we don't want this. We know the true gospel. We know what this is, and we don't want anything to interfere with it. We don't want people to be confused. We don't want people to um, be believing things that are not true about God or his character and lead them astray and just 
cause confusion. I mean, I think that's a lot of that is how um, Pharisees came to be because, you know, they took something like a, a truth and they, they stretched it and they went beyond it and they became very legalistic towards it. So it's clear that these false prophets were not planning on backing down. Rather, they were getting more bold and more prominent. Therefore, Paul gives Timothy a bold, clear call to continue in the gospel despite suffering and despite the obvious notion to want to back into a corner. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like if I was in that situation where there was a bunch of people always like coming after me, <laughs> I would probably just want to like just shrink away and not want to deal with it. Some people are a lot more bold. I'm more timid in nature. So that's just me. So in the light of the context that we just heard about, let's look at our key verse a little bit more in depth. So I just want to focus on um, a few words here that are really highlighted in this verse. And the first one is fear. So the first word I want to explain, again, is fear. And in this context, the word fear indicates a spirit of timidity or cowardice. So Timothy is in a situation where the people around him are no respecters of persons. They have an agenda to speak what they believe to be truth without the mindset of stopping for anyone who tries to get in their way. They are acting as if they're soldiers fighting for a cause. Therefore, Paul is urging Timothy to act as a bold soldier for Christ to fight the good fight. Paul realizes that the battle is intimidating, yet knows that through the Holy Spirit he is given a spirit of boldness and not of fear. With this in mind, Paul is encouraging Timothy by telling him to boldly press forward, relying solely on the Spirit. So this type of fear, again, the word, uh, when you go back into the Greek, it's saying it's of a timid nature. The fear is making him timid. It's, it's making him, uh, well, it doesn't say necessarily that Timothy is timid. He's just encouraging him to not be. So he's saying, don't, don't back down. Do not give in to the urge to want to, you know, lay down and surrender. He's saying, you've got to keep going. Um, I know this is scary. I know that the situation is not the best one. And not everybody is, you know, singing your praises. People are coming against you. You've got to be strong. Fight the good fight. Be a soldier for Christ. Um, and fight for it. Don't back down. The second word... Um, here is power. So this word uh, power is focusing on a miraculous might, strength, and ability. So through the Holy Spirit, God takes delight in giving us gifts, skills, and talents so that we have the ability to, the ability to act justly and godly in the face of opposition. Again, always through the lens that it is God's grace and strength that works through those gifts. So I don't want it to sound like God has given us the ability so we just function in our own strength and we rely on our own talents if we rely on our own stuff. It's always through God's strength, right? But he gives us these abilities and we don't have to be scared to use them. You know, each of you guys have certain gifts that I don't. Maybe I have a gift that you don't have. And it's good that we have those. You know, it's great. I love learning about different people and their abilities. Nate is way more wise than I am. That's a good gift. <laughs> I always go to him for wisdom and other people too. Um, so again, always through the lens that is God's grace and strength. In the verse before our key, in the verse before our key verse, um, Paul recognizes that Timothy has God-given gifts and urges him not to neglect them. Paul makes Paul compels Timothy to fan into flame those gifts so that God can use him effectively. So just kind of what I was talking about before. It's not a mistake that each of us have different gifts, skills, and talents. God wants to use them in powerful ways that create an internal impact. God equips us all differently, but the constant thing amongst us is that we are all able and capable through his strength. 
And that's something that we all need to realize. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes we neglect the gifts that God has given us and we don't tell anybody about them or we don't try to practice them. Um, We don't seek for ways to use them. And that's a mistake because a way that God empowers us to reach people is through those gifts. So um, I'm thinking a while ago on my internship in Vaughan, I preached a sermon about Dorcas in the Bible. And one of the reasons why is because her name, I just loved her name. But she, um, she made clothes for the poor, and she, she clothed them. That was her gift. And I think it would have been a real shame if she didn't use that gift to glorify God. And she embraced it, and she wasn't fearful uh, of using it. She wasn't afraid of failing, uh, which most of us are. I mean, I definitely am. Um, in most situations, fear of failure gets in my way all the time. But she didn't let that get in her way. She utilized the gifts and the capabilities that God gave her, and she, she put it into action. Also, another thing about this, um, so when I was writing this sermon, or trying to, I had all these books like open up on my desk in my office, and Pastor Mark popped his head in, and he was really, really helpful. He helped me do word studies, gave me like different pieces of paper, and was just was talking to me about it, and I really appreciated it. Um, and one of the things that he was talking about um, when it came to this word power and ability was the story of Moses and how Moses was leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they came to a point where it seemed like all hope was lost. They were trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea and no possible way out. However, Moses realized that God gave him the ability and the power to part the Red Sea. And a lot of us find ourselves in, these, in this crossroad where we feel like our back is up against the wall on one side, and then when we look forward, we see another wall there, and we feel like, how am I going to get through this, you know? We're like, we get scared, we start to panic, we're like, I can't do this, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you realize, you come back to this verse, and you know, God gave you a spirit of power, you have the ability, you can do it, through God, again. So I want to encourage you that the Spirit of God gives us power. Secondly, um, the next word I want to focus on is love. So love gives, God gives us a spirit of love, which is extremely a good thing, because I think we could all agree that love can be very hard to cultivate on our own. So if it were left to us, we would all be grouchy and annoyed at anyone who made our lives even the slightly bit less convenient, So such as your barista at your favorite Starbucks putting only one cream in instead of two and not mixing it properly. How annoying would that be? So as some of you may know, there are actually three different meanings or three different words for love in the Bible. And in this particular verse, it's talking about agape love. So agape love is about God's perfect and unconditional love for us. It is pure, it is selfless, and it is new every single day. And I believe that since we are all made in God's image, he has placed agape love inside of us, each of us. And it comes to the surface when we abide in Christ. So when we're digging deep into the word and we're, when we're fellowshipping with other people of faith and, uh, you know, we're sharing and we're learning together, I feel like that's when we can function properly out of this agape love, the love that God has for us where we want to be selfless and we want to give of our time and we long to spend more time in relationship with God and we're just continuously learning. So this love also, it casts out all fear. And this is a reference to 1 John 4, 18. So when, we're, when we live in the spirit of love, 
It casts out all fear. There's no room for fear anymore. So therefore, in this verse, I believe that Paul is telling Timothy that when we rest in the love of God, there is no room for timidity or cowardice. Nothing will do more to inspire courage and to make a person feel fearless of danger or ready to endure persecution than love. So I want you guys to think of someone that you love really dearly right now. Um, Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a best friend, um, somebody that you've known for a really long time who has walked with you through thick and thin. Um, That love is so strong that I would say that you would lay down your life for that person. You would die for that person. And I, you know, I think of myself, if I were ever in a situation where I had to lay down my life for Nathan, I would do it, you know, in a blink of an eye. I mean, you know, I would like to think that it would be very easy. I'm sure it would be very, very, very difficult. But I mean, if, if something ever happened, I love him so much that I would lay down my life for him. And I truly believe that once we get a hold of how much God loves us, naturally, out of the same love, we desire to sacrifice for him. Even if that means standing up to something really intimidating, whether that's people or a situation. The Spirit of God gives us love. So moving along, the next word that I want to focus on is self-control. And uh, as some translations put it, it also says of a sound mind, which is also not necessarily our most natural disposition, if I'm being honest. If I didn't have to um, get ready every day, and be lazy, I would probably do that Um, until I got like really tired of it, obviously, then I probably would kick into action. But if I had the choice, I mean, all of us would probably, if we're honest, uh, we wouldn't be as disciplined as we are because it wouldn't really be our nature to do so. But self-control helps us give us the ability to slow our thoughts, slow the thoughts running through our minds, and see our situations rationally. So I like the translation that says sound mind because usually fear sends us into panic mode. It stirs up a fight or flight response within our bodies that causes us to act impulsively and irrationally to the point that our reaction to the circumstance is way, way out of proportion from what's actually happening. So the state referred to here is that um, the, the mind needs to be well balanced and under the right influences. This takes a large amount of self-control and prudence, and Timothy could have easily jumped into panic mode. He could have easily uh, seen the false teachers and become entangled in his own insecurities as a young pastor and called it quits before the battle even began. But instead, Paul is really, really encouraging him to slow his mind and see the situation as it really is and acknowledge that God is in control. Through self-control, Timothy would be able to steward the power, uh, the spirit of power and love in such a way that would allow him to lead the church of Ephesus, of Ephesus in the most godly way possible. It's through self-control that we're able to just slow everything down in a sound mind that, you know, now we can make a decision. Have you ever been in a heated argument and you just needed a second to cool down and all of a sudden once you did cool down, you're like, oh my gosh, like why are we even fighting? Like I got so like up in arms about this situation, but there's a clear solution. You know, we don't have to go through this every time that there's a problem. We can be calm, cool, and collected. I'm very thankful for Nathan because he's a lot more calm, cool, and collected than I am, and he teaches me a lot about that. Whenever we have disagreements, he's always like, just be calm. (laughs) Just be calm. And I'm like, I don't know how. (laughs) So it's encouraging for me as well that the Spirit of God gives us self-control and a sound mind. All right, so here's the question then. So if God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, 
why do we often trade what God gave us for something that he didn't? This is the big question. So I don't know all of the possible answers there are for this, but I do know that there's an enemy that tries to distract us and pull us away from the mission of God. And he will do that in any way possible. You know, he'll grasp onto straws. He'll try to do whatever he can to get his way into our lives and feed this fear until, you know, it's so much bigger than we thought it was going to get. And I don't think it's an accident that a lot of us deal with this problem of being fearful to the point where we want to back down or we become timid and um, where serving God becomes, it seems, too, too big or it has, it's become too big of a sacrifice and we just, we can't do it. And it's why a lot of us are scared of sharing the gospel with others. That's why Paul was so adamant about Timothy saying, like, don't be ashamed. Use your gifts. Understand that you're not living in fear. It's okay. And when you live in the spirit of truth and love and power and self-control, you're able to share about Jesus with others freely. I think that would be pretty cool. So next, I just want to go through uh, a few things that I wrote down about what happens when we function in the spirit of fear. So the first thing that I kind of wrote down here was it restrains us from using the gifts and talents that God gave us. Secondly, it mutes the message of the gospel from being shared to others because we're so timid. Three, it reduces our risk to, it reduces our influence to others. And four, it festers doubts, insecurities, lies, shame, and our ability to see ourselves as having value built into our very identities from God. I think this is a huge one that a lot of us struggle with, insecurities. There's no one in this room who doesn't have an insecurity. And you know, maybe you had more insecurities as you were younger, or maybe as you walk through life and you've gotten hurt and you've been in different situations, insecurities kind of just popped up and sprung on you. Um, but we all have them. And as much as we don't want them, I think it's, it's helpful to realize sometimes that you're not the only one struggling with it. Um, I mean, everybody. I won't ask everyone to raise their hands, but everybody would have their hands raised. So you're not the only one who believes these insecurities, but you don't have to. There's another, another way to live. And fifthly, it creates bondage. So essentially, fear becomes a thing calling all of the shots, and we're timidly just listening to it and doing whatever it says because we see no alternative. When you're in bondage, you don't see a way out. Even though the door might be open, wide open, there's not even anything around you stopping you, when you're functioning in fear and in bondage, you see that as a reality. You know, and I'm sure we've all been there. You see that as your reality. There's no way out. No, I can't do this. The door's wide open. You know, you just got to you believe that, believe the truth that, that God has for you. It is open. So I just wanted to contrast this when, um, and, and share with you what happens when we function in the spirit of power, love, and self-control. So it empowers us to use the gifts and tal talents that God gave us. So instead of being scared to use them and not wanting to use them and not, you know, acknowledging that you have them or saying that somebody else has the same gift and they're better at it. Um, you don't have that excuse anymore. All of a sudden, like, that doesn't matter. You just want to use what God has given you to bless other people, and in turn, it blesses you as well. 
Secondly, it liberates the message of the gospel. So instead of being so scared, you're actually really happy to go tell other people about it. I've met people who aren't scared of sharing the gospel. And sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I was more like that. Sometimes I have courage to go. Sometimes I feel like I, it's impossible. But it's, it's encouraging to me that when I function in the spirit of love and power and self-control, it's actually exhilarating. It's a good thing. I'm empowered, and it's, it liberates me to share the gospel with others. It also increases our influence with other people. So when you meet new people, you're like, it, it shows. It shows through your actions, through your words. It's, it becomes a lot easier. Um, it also dispels the doubts and insecurities and the lies and the shame, and it confirms our immense value. So now instead of doubting ourselves all the time, like, am I worth it? Like, does God care about me? Am I able to take this on? Am I able to fight this fight of faith and endure it and run with perseverance? Like, yes, you can. I'll tell you, yes, you can. You're valuable, and God loves you, and God has a plan for you and a purpose for you, and there's so much more when you just surrender yourself, you stop. Stop living in the bondage of fear. Stop accepting it as what you were just, you know, this is my, this is what I've been dealt. You know, life has been hard. You don't have to live like that. It also creates a space for freedom to thrive. You know, it's commonly said that there's, there's, there's freedom wherever the spirit of the Lord is. And we say it because it's true. So basically what's happening here when we live in um, this type of spirit, it shines a huge light on and exposes fear for what it really is, which is a lie and something God never intended us to live in. So the only fear, and I wrote this, apparently I thought it was funny when I was like sharing this with Nate. Apparently this isn't a funny point, but... (laughs) Because I'm talking about fear. I'm like, you, go, you don't need fear. You don't need fear. The only fear you need to have is the fear of the Lord. It's not a funny point, but it's a true point. <laughs> so now what? So it's simply time to start accept, accepting what God has given us and reject what he has not. You do not need to accept the spirit of fear. God didn't give it to you. It's not something that you need to accept. And I know, I know it's easier said than done. And I'm admitting that, you know, we will sometimes accept that for ourselves. We will sometimes fall into that. But I'm saying you don't need to keep it. You know, when you accept it, you give it back away. You know, you say, I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't, this isn't necessary. So I know it's simply, simpler to say it than to do it, but... I have faith. But this is why we have community. This is why we have a church family. So things are always scarier when we think we have to do it alone. So I'm just going to tell you that you don't. You know, all the time in camp, we talk about, like, when you have to go to the bathroom, you use the buddy system, or you're walking down the hallway, you have, like, a buddy with you. Um, This is still true in adulthood. (laughs) And, you know, you could have more than a buddy. You can have a whole group. You know, this, this is the buddy system. In effect, right now, all of us sitting in this room, this is the buddy system. We have each other's back. When somebody falls into fear, the other person speaks truth over them and tells them the truth. And you pull that person out and you walk with them and you do it together. This is a journey together and we're going to fall, but that's why we have one another. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when we live in power and love and discipline, we actually become 
uh, a person who holds a lantern for those who come behind us to do the same thing. So this is extremely important because the generation growing up right now, they have it tough. And I know that it can be said that every generation has it tough, but right now I'm just focusing on the people, you know, the, the youth that I have in, the youth that are in this church, the junior highs that are in this church, and the young adults that are in this church, they, they have it tough. And I just, I, I just want to be real about the climate in which our young people are growing up in today. And in many ways, our young people are of, the young people of faith that we have in this very congregation are up against things that seem like huge, intimidating giants. So everything on social media has them crippled with comparison, uh, telling them that they'll only be good enough if they look or act like the coolest influencer on Instagram or the YouTuber that has the most watches or the views. Um, people are, are literally crippled with comparison. And I know it's not only the young people, but you know, we all compare ourselves to others, but it's just a huge thing. Social media has made it so easy to make it you feel bad about yourself in 0.2 seconds. It can be used as a good tool, um, I mean, I still have social media, but even myself, I've had to put boundaries around it or I've had to check myself when I start to scroll and I start seeing these things and I start going, like, well, I don't look like that. Well, I don't sound like that. I can't go on those vacations. <laughs> um, I, that's just not who I am. And all of a sudden I'm in the comparison trap and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Or that morality is based on individual basis, and that's okay to have faith, but only if you keep it to yourself, because speaking about it to others is a direct violation and an attack on someone else. So pretty much we're told, just, you're, you, you totally believe in Jesus, totally, but don't tell me about it. You know, like, I'm free to make my own decisions, and I don't think we should ever force something on somebody, ever. But at the same time, you know, God told us to share the message, and I think that also involves actions, but it also involves speaking, both of those things. Um, but it's hard. It's really, really, really hard and intimidating. Like if someone told me, like, go up to this random person or whoever and share with them about the gospel, that, that would be hard. First, I would probably try to build a relationship first and then talk to them about it. But it's still very, very, very hard. So, and not to mention, you know, this is a big thing. And I'm glad that our church is, we're kind of like real about issues. Like Pastor Jen, she runs the, um, the 4-1 against human trafficking. Um, so we're not blind to issues going on in the world, but this is, this is a ginormous one. Um, there's a huge, huge epidemic of people being wiped out and taken hostage by porn. A lot of young people, a lot of old people, takes hostage of millions of people, and it leads them to believe that love is never, was never meant to be a lifelong commitment. You know, it's taking these things that God said, like, I'm giving you a spirit of love, and all of a sudden love is so twisted because of all these things on social media or the computer or magazines or wherever it is, in movies that are saying, like, this is totally normal. This is, this is what love is, and it changes the way that we view things, and it brings us back into fear, <laughs> leads you all the way back into fear. And so I, all I'm saying is our young people need to see people of faith holding lanterns for them that displays power, love, discipline played out in our very own cultural context. And so by you personally going out into those dark places before them, it allows them to follow until they can take up their own lantern and lead others as well, just like Paul did for Timothy. Paul was a lantern holder. For Timothy saying, 
you know, yep, this is really intimidating. This is really, really, really hard. So I'm going to show you that it's possible. I'm going to walk with this lantern holding it. We're going to walk into this really dark room, and you're going to be able to follow me. And soon enough, you're going to be able to take up your own lantern, and all of these people are going to follow you as well through God's grace. So with that being said, I'm actually, I'm very, very, very proud, as I'm sure all of you guys are, of the young people that we have in this church. And I really do believe that even right now, they do hold the lanterns for people. But what would help us even more is if they continue to see more people do the same, who are older than them, who have more experience, um, who have more wisdom. It really dispels the fear. When you see somebody else doing it, you're like, wow, okay, I can do this too. It's not impossible. And I see that it is a struggle. I, I don't, you know, negate the fact that it is a struggle, but we can do it together. So in conclusion, before I bring this just to a close, I'll just invite the worship team to come up and the prayer team to make their way to the front. Um, there's a reason why I chose to use water um, as the images behind all the PowerPoint slides that I have. And uh, this is because... Um, I think we can all know, if you've ever been to an ocean, um, you've seen movies about the ocean, the ocean water can be extremely calm, extremely still, very peaceful, um, therapeutic. You go there to relax and unwind, but all of a sudden, in a blink of an eye, all the water can become a giant storm. And there's waves, and there's an undertow, and there's a current. And sometimes, you know, I remember when I was little, going to the ocean one time and for a beach day on vacation with my family and there was a lot of waves in the water and I thought I was okay and then all of a sudden there's like a huge wave that comes up and like I'm intimidated like I'm a small person I was an even smaller person then it's scary when a huge wave comes and you have no option but to kind of just go through it um I kind of you know, when it crashed over me, I kind of like tumbled in the water and I felt like I was underwater probably way longer than it actually was. But it's scary and it's intimidating. And sometimes we go through seasons like that where people are coming against us and we feel like we're living in this fear where we're timid and we're, we feel like a coward because we can't push forward quite as much as we really want to. And we're living in this tension of this fear but what I've learned, especially through reading this and as, as well as just through my journey of faith, is that, you know, that wasn't meant for us. It's okay. Sometimes we were going to be intimidated and it's going to be hard. But we have power. We have love and we have self-control. We have a sound mind ready at our disposal for God to just hand it to us. It's like a, a big hand just reaching into the waves and saying, like, I got this. I got you. I've always been here. I'm always there. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. And that brings me huge peace. You know, in the Gospels when it's saying, like, when all the disciples were on the boat and the water kept on getting really, really, really crazy and just a word, God was able to silence it. Still. In my office, I have a verse um, that I painted on my wall because it helps me bring me back to reality when things are tough. So be still and know that I am God. From Psalm 46. And that's so true. I hope you guys accept that as truth for you. So just like Timothy 
all of us need to be reminded that fear and timidity and cowardice were never meant for us. Instead, we have access to the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit who has gifted us and empowered us with love, power, self-control, and a sound mind despite how difficult or dangerous things become. So as the worship team just continues to play and the people who are praying come up, I would just like to invite anybody who, who feels like they need prayer, maybe something really um, spoke to you during this sermon, um, kind of like hit you, saying like, wow, I'm, I am really facing fear, I'm going through this, and it may be different. You know, in this, in this context, he was talking about, you know, persevere for the faith, like you can share the gospel with others, you don't have to back down, you can use your gifts, but also fear shows itself in so many different ways. And I don't want to limit this just to this type. I want, if you're afraid, if you're going through something, and you're just fearful, this, this verse is for you too. You don't have to be. You don't have to live in the tension of fear, feeling like you're living in bondage, like fear is calling all of the shots, and you have no other way than just to kind of go along with it, tumble along in the waves, and feel like you can't come up for air. It's not, that's not for you. So um, I'm going to head down and... If you feel like you really need prayer, please come up. And if you're struggling with something else even, not even related to this sermon, but you just need prayer, please feel free to come and uh, be ministered to. So I'm going to head down as the worship team comes, and then at a later time we'll dismiss everyone.